Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out. Living letters of the word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This evening on this fourth Sunday in Advent, our lectionary turns to consider the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it strikes me as strange every year that we spend two Sundays considering John the Baptist and only one considering Mary. Now, not that John did not have great accomplishments and he heralded the coming of the Messiah and those are worthy of of praise and examination, but Mary kind of did a whole lot more. And unlike our brothers and sisters in other Christian traditions, especially in the Roman tradition, we don't spend a whole lot of time with Mary outside of the Advent and Christmas season, probably to our detriment. But for at least one Sunday a year, this fourth Sunday in Advent, she returns to our theological consciousness, and we are privileged again to consider the import of this enigmatic and powerful woman. During these seasons of Advent and Christmas, Mary can be found in the strangest places, on postage stamps, on greeting cards and nativity scenes, and I believe she was recently on the cover of the National Geographic. But what strikes me is when I see Mary in all these places out and about and in the world is how she is depicted in art and popular culture. She is often beautiful, stately, regal, like the monarch of some great and stable empire. And she also looks humble, peaceful, and introspective, like a devout nun at prayer. She looks so calm, so cool, so collected, like someone who has all their Christmas shopping done. And I, on the other hand, am not so calm this year. And so I have a hard time conceptualizing and wrapping my mind around this very traditional image of Mary. In the first chapter of Luke, Mary receives what is, without hyperbole, the most fantastic news in the history of the universe since God said, let there be light. And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And later, in that same chapter as we read this evening, Mary, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And in the traditional image of Mary, she receives this news very demurely, very calmly, very matter-of-factly. Okay, even though I am a virgin, I am with child. And that child will be the Messiah, the Son of God. This happens to me every day. But in reality, I wonder if her image, her mindset was a little different. I can only imagine the reaction of her gut. Something along the lines of, you have got to be kidding me. God is going to do what 
I imagine all of the thoughts going through her mind. How am I going to explain this to Joseph? What if he doesn't believe me? What about the scandal? What will the neighbors say? What will my mother say? And how am I going to raise a son shunned by polite society because of this scandalous pregnancy? And if I remember my prophet Isaiah, isn't the Messiah supposed to be a suffering servant? How can I stand idly by and watch my child suffer? What will my little Jesus' life be like? My God, I love you, but I don't know if I can do this. 2,000 years later, we have a distinct advantage over Mary. We know about the beautiful Christmas story. We hear, we know the power of Jesus' ministry, the miracle of the resurrection, the impact Jesus has had not only in our own lives, but in the life of the world. We have the benefit of hindsight. But Mary did not know the marvelous acts that God had in store for the world. Mary knew the prophecies of the Messiah, but that was all. And they were undoubtedly cold comfort, considering how her life, her hopes, her dreams were about to be turned upside down. But I also wonder, as we think about how Mary reacted when she realized what was about to happen to her, why do we imagine that she was so afraid? Why do I imagine that she was so afraid? Where does that projection on this woman come from? For it is not supported by Scripture. Luke reports that Mary was much perplexed by the angel's words, and the angel tells Mary not to fear. Here's a little tip. Whenever you read in Scripture someone telling someone not to be afraid, there's probably a very good reason to be afraid. But Mary takes all of this very well. In fact, perhaps my projection on Mary is rooted in my own apprehensions, in my own anxieties, and my own fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the new, fear of change, fear of anything outside of my control, or that I can plan. And when we are confronted by what is going on in our own lives or what is going on out in the world, do we, act, do we react out of fear? Or do we respond as Mary did? Let it be with me according to your word. For after Mary is greeted by her cousin Elizabeth. She proclaims some of the most beautiful and powerful poetry in all of Scripture, that canticle we read between the first and second readings this evening. Those were Mary's words. Mary sings, The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And amid all of those amazing, powerful things that Mary says in that song, one of the most powerful to me is that it's all in the past tense. Mary does not say God will fill the hungry, but God has filled the hungry. Mary does not say God will scatter the proud someday, but God has scattered the proud. These are not the words of a fearful person. Mary instead lives in hope. Hope rooted in faith and the confidence that God is God, that God is good, and that God will make things all right in the end. Mary lives in a confidence so strong that through her the reign of God is brought forth. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Not will do great things. Not might do great things. Not I really hope, cross my fingers, that possibly something great might happen. No greatness has happened and will continue to happen. All we need to do is believe. This week, we go to Bethlehem once again and approach the inn and the stable and the manger. And once again, we see the beautiful babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But as we adore him with shepherds and sheep and magi and angels, also turn and regard his blessed mother. She is worthy of emulation and praise for so many reasons, but not the least of which is her hope, a hope in God and a hope in a God who could change the world, a hope that could heal our frightened and broken hearts. Amen.